is like a moment from a horror movie. You have been hanging out in the wrong clubs, Mr. Wayne. I've seen this movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Join the club. We've got jackets. And you stole it from a movie. We want you in our club, kid. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. I'm John Burke, and with me, as always, is Corey Starr. Hello, hello. And we are in the second week of... Uh, I'll show you scary theme, which is the top 100 movie list off of Rotten Tomatoes. And of course, following our patterns, these are uh, movies that at least one of us have not seen. And this week's episode, neither of us have seen the 1973 film Don't Look Now, uh, directed by Nicholas Rogue, which we will be uh, discussing in a little bit. But before we do that, we like to see how we've been doing and catch up with what we've been watching since the last time we recorded. So, Corey, how are you? I'm fine. Um, not much to report over here, except it is spring. Uh, it's not spring, it's fall. Sorry. It's the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, um, I feel like I've had an okay week. I'm working overtime. Um, and I got to go see um, Doug Marsh from uh, Built to Spill on Wednesday with some friends. And it was outdoors. We got to eat a fancy picnic dinner. Um, I mean, I love food. Hi. Um, and uh, he's one of my favorite, you know, he's a musician I really love a lot. And he's local here in Boise. So that's just a treat. And mm. yeah, you know. And what was Are the you? made up name you gave him? <laughs> it's not made up. But guys, <laughs> I love I love, I'm talking to all of our listeners when I say guys, I love that you think that I make up band names because I'm really not that creative. And I feel like you've known me long enough to know that I'm not that creative, but I appreciate it. And it still makes me laugh every time. Two related stories. Doug Marsh. And he's from Built to Spill, guys. (laughs) All of that sounds made up. But so um, this morning... I decided instead of picking my usual, like what I usually do with my YouTube music is I click the uh, your mix and they give me a bunch of songs that I've either liked or are somehow related to things I've liked. But this morning I clicked on my discover mix and these are supposed to be like more, I don't think it's things it says it's picked for you, but I don't think that's true because a lot of what they pick does not match anything I've listened to or liked. Um, Like, yeah, I don't like house music. I don't like, (laughs) Well, one that popped up today was Ryan Adams' song, and I mean, I was like, oh, I was like Corey, I've actually—I don't think I've ever actually listened to Ryan Adams for a long time. I thought you were making a mistake in dropping the B, no, and that you were a really big Brian Adams fan because no, no, you no. know he had the. But when great a man songs. loves a woman, right? That song exactly, and Summer um, oh, well, he had a few good ones. So, so I don't think I've ever actually listened to Ryan Adams, but I only listened to like half a song, and I don't remember what it was. But so. Um, in my, for, for the do now activity, which is like the first thing they do when they get in the class kind of thing, um, which was important before, but it's even more important now because of like the hybrid situation where I have like five or six kids in the classroom. I have like 10 or 15 kids online. They're all online, but like, I need to be able to like keep them engaged kind of thing while I'm also taking attendance, which is really hard because you have to like look at a list of names and then look in the room and it's, it's a weird feeling to take attendance like this so it takes a little extra time and so uh i sometimes the do nows are are very academic in nature but other times they're more about like just getting to know them or getting to know each other a little more 
And so today's was a discussion, uh, a virtual discussion. Like, you know, you type it in and then you can comment on other people's. And I just simply asked, what was the last song you listened to? And then, like, I wanted specifics, like, on what, what service did you use to listen to it? Uh, why were you listening to it? Was it, like, intentional I picked the song or was it, like, a random on a playlist? And um, so I I feel like right now especially, my music is by far the most eclectic my tastes have ever been. Um, where, like, my, my Your Mix playlist on YouTube, it'll be, like, Taylor Swift. And then it'll be, like, System of a Down. And then it'll be, like, Joyner Lucas. And then it'll be, like, Mizio and grandson it's just like it's it's all over the place of stuff i like but this is like it's not one style of music for a change like when i was even when we first met i was very much of like heavy metal music and that was pretty much it and like maybe one or two rappers and that everything else was trash and so i've, I've really opened up my taste a lot but it's still very very mainstream i would say like most of my taste is mainstream mizio might be the most obscure thing i've said on the of the list of names and it's it's definitely not obscure to everybody but it you know to me it's more obscure than i would normally actively listen to outside of rock music and so i i do this with my students i ask them you know post your thing and all i kept thinking of was you because i'm like you guys are all making this up right none of this is real like, none of these bands exist like i learned a, i learned a, a whole genre today i didn't know existed, oh which is called uh glitchcore Dude, I cannot keep up with, like, the subgenres anymore, or even, like, a lot of the genres. It's just, like, what the what the heck is this? So, I, I had to, I listened to one that. song. Oh, God. From Glitchcore. Uh, it's from a band called, I think it's pronounced 100 Gex, but it's, I, in case oh. I'm wrong, it's G-E-C-S. Dude, what oh. is going on? Like, I've never listened to this band, but I get um, emails from a particular from pitchfork they're not really my favorite music publication um but they do like an article each week that's like um so however many i think it might be six albums every week that you should listen to but most of the time i feel like they're trying to go for like most obscure band ever and i'm like i can appreciate that you're trying to help out you know smaller bands or maybe they're not smaller maybe i'm just out of the loop but you know what i mean yeah and Mm -hmm. they had a they were they were on there on in that article today they were mentioned by multiple students so i either it's a conspiracy to trick me or they are a real bit no i i've listened to one song of theirs no i believe i I, (laughs) most of this is a joke i i did listen to one of their songs today and um awful it's not really for me it it has an alvin and the chipmunks meets like a like uh electronica like they are it's like an electronic it almost sounds like you know those apps where you like type it in and then it reads it back to you in like a robot voice it's kind of that with the chipmunks because it's a little high pitched and it feels it's very up tempo at least the first song i only listened to one song so i can't you know fully endorse all of what i'm saying as like this is the style but that was the vibe i immediately got and um but that was it was happening a lot where i'm just like okay i feel like also, where they get their music is kind of random. Like some some were really into like just video game like scores, and um, interesting. Some some were uh, like all SoundCloud rappers, and I don't know if that's just because it's free. Like, but you know, I, I don't know. Like, and radio's different, right? Radio's different now. You don't you don't. I don't know a lot of people who like really actively have like a radio station anymore. Like I used to one hundred one point one ninety rock. Those were my stations. Dude, nice. All the other stations were trash. What was uh, O-Rock 
which it has it's long dead. been gone now. Yeah, but which it was is sad. So I I loved O Rock. Um, you know, and so like that was the thing, and like I would just have my radio on all the time, and then like I would buy CDs, but that was mm-hmm. like that was part of the reason why I feel like I was so locked into a genre was because I had to buy CDs, right? Like I couldn't just, you Sample. know, right. Like now it's like, we literally have almost every song we could ever want at our fingertips at any time. And often I find that even more challenging why I end up listening to the same songs over and over again. Cause I don't know what else to pick. Cause I, there's so much option. And so like seeing this today, it was really kind of mind boggling. It's just like, like it's not, remotely the same it's still very much the same in that i think i think teenagers especially find our identity in the music that we listen to oh yeah like when i think back to like the clicks and stuff in high school all of them had a genre of music heavily attached like i was kind of mostly in like the the we quote unquote freaks which would later become like the emo kids but we were pre-emo by a few years um but you know we wore dark shirts dark a lot of my friends wore jinkos i did not do the jinkos (laughs) Um, yeah, they they were just too too much for my. They were one. I think they were too expensive for me. They were very. Then, they were like seventy dollars back then. Right. I was always a like shop at Walmart kid, and still kind of am. Uh, m- majority of my clothes are less than twenty dollars an item. Um, so, you know, uh, but like it was always heavily associated with with music, right? Like that was always the thing when I was in high school, and I think it still is. But now, like, it's, it's, there's so much of it because any, I can create a genre right now, record my song, upload it to YouTube, and it's, it's now, it can become a hit like that, right? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't mean I'll make any money, but people will latch onto it and become a fan. Um, a great example is an artist that I love named Grandson, who has, I think I have like 25 songs of his, like, actively on a playlist. And his debut album is coming out in December with all new songs. He, I have 25 songs of his, and yet Does this he have is his EPs? Right, yes. He's released a series of EPs, basically. But th- this is, is going to be his first uh, debut album, and it's like, man, that's such a weird model, because I've yeah. listened and know for over a year I've listened to him now. But and it's crazy to me. I feel like it's been happening for a long time, since like the inception of iTunes, I swear, that like sure. lots of bands got away from making like, like being like wanting to make a good complete album and they were just worried about throwing out some good singles. So you would like buy an album and be expecting something. And then you're like, skip, skip, skip. skip. You know what I mean? Well, I will say I wonder of with grandson, every single song I think is fantastic. Um, I, I don't, I don't think there's one song that I'm like, don't like this. And um, one of the things too, that I've noticed a lot of the bands that I'm really into, like since 21 pilots, like 21 pilots, young blood, grandson, Mizio, Mizio being, I think, the least of these three, but there's a a much more blending of genre in modern, like, rock music. Like, they're not just picking a single genre. They're kind of meshing things together. Like, there's a hip-hop influence, which you see, like, in new Metal. This is not a music podcast, but maybe, maybe down the road, Corey, we should do Music (laughs) Club. Uh, Not because we're experts. That's the thing. I, I don't know why I feel like I'm an expert in film enough that I can talk about it, but I don't, I've never felt that comfortable with music. Who are you? Well, I mean, I, I have no real, I actively have tried to become an academic and I feel like I can speak academically about film. I don't feel like and I can do that with music. And then you choose to talk to them, talk to me about them. <laughs> I wonder how you don't like get frustrated and stuff. Sometimes it's fine. Um, but <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry. I no, no. I just, I don't, 
I've never felt as much as I've spent with music and I was, a, I played, I've never made a feature length film, but I've played, I've made an album. I've, I've played many shows, you know, and yet I feel less knowledgeable about music um, than I do about film because I, I think with movies, while I know what I like, I feel like I've always kind of had an eclectic taste of film um, okay. where music I don't. And I feel like there's so much more variety in music that I can't always articulate why I think something is good versus why it's bad. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know if I can, other than I don't like it. I don't like the way this sounds, but I can't tell you why. Or I can't even tell you really why I think it's good. It just works. Like, I get pumped up. I feel excited by it, but I don't. I can't really articulate what it is that makes me that way. I, I like it's it's up tempo, but you know, I, I don't know. I've I've considered like writing reviews for for music as much as I've written for film, and I just it feels like I don't know where to start. Um, and I, I have I've written a couple of music reviews back when I was in high school, actually for my They're high school hard. newspaper. Um, I feel like there it's much more challenging to not just be like this song is good, I like it, it's upbeat. I Next. I feel like, um, I love music. I play no instruments. I'm just an appreciator. Um, but they are hard to write. And I feel like with like music people, they will come for you. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Oh yeah. I mean, people get defensive over films, but I do think they get even more defensive over, uh, music. Um, at least uh, we both were like that when we were a little younger, you know, where we would like oh, fight no. over it. Yeah. Like, you don't like that we person? You're friends. insane. <laughs> we were not friends initially, everybody. And um, it was heavily built around our dis- dislike of each other's music, though. That's exactly my point, though. Our identities were heavily associated. We knew everything, too, because there was like no, there was no conversation to be had. No. Yeah. It was just no. like, it, nope. You think you have all the answers. Um it's like, yeah, but but we both think that. So clearly there's yeah. there's room. We have no idea. Yeah. Um, but we don't mean to dwell on music, but we do love music because and of course movies are and music are connected for sure. Sound is an important part. I mean, n- look no further than my favorite sure. director's baby driver, or you know, um our both of our one of our favorite Cohen's films, my favorite Cohen film, the, the inside Luland Davis, you know. Um so uh that's kind of what's been going on though that was today it's just fresh in my head i did play uh D for the second time tonight um our campaign advanced quite quite a bit and it was good times uh i love getting my characters supposed to be witty and slick and like you know quick with the like words and whatnot wow really proving that skill uh so but we had um we, we had i had a lot i made them laugh a lot and had, we had a really good time it was it was fun kind of a relaxing way to end our week because it's been a little bit of a stressful week um we i i you know last i guess thing to reference because i am a teacher and most of you know that at this point we've been doing this for a while but uh this article got sent to me um toxic positivity and it's the idea that like acting like everything is okay when it's clearly not okay and this this like kind of self-martyr culture of teaching that we've put ourselves in where like we have to basically sacrifice everything to be a good teacher a quote-unquote good teacher that like if you're not working you know till 12 o'clock at night grading papers every single day and you know not doing anything that you want to do but only working uh you're not doing a good enough job and that was kind of before covid Mm -hmm. 
and COVID's only made it even more all encompassing that you're like separating work from life. And keep in mind that we do not get paid for any of that time outside of our contracted hours. Um, and yet there is an expectation uh, by, I think, society, but also by administration and by the government that we do the extra stuff. Like we have to have all these things graded. You have to have all of these lessons planned. You have to have all this in your lessons and blah, 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 blah. But there's literally no time built into the day. And if there is time, let's be generous and say there's 45 minutes given to us every single day for planning. But I have myself five different subjects that I teach. So if I'm supposed to plan for five different subjects in 45 minutes, that implies I get, what, nine minutes per subject to plan for a 90-minute class? And um, it, and if that's if I do nothing else, uh, I'm also supposed to grade papers. I'm supposed to have parent conferences in that 45-minute block of free time. I may have a faculty meeting in that 45-minute block of free time. Um, I may have a professional development that I have to do in that 45 minutes of free time. I am also the yearbook advisor. So I manage and organize all of the photo days and all of the pictures and um, things of that nature. Uh, and of course, I like this morning, I had a meeting with a cover artist uh, who was helped us finish our cover for this year's yearbook, which looks amazing. I am very excited about it. And the cover artist was fantastic. Um, but it was also like, it started at eight. My class starts at 8.20. So at 8.20, I'm in a Zoom call with the cover artist. And then I was on my phone on a Zoom call with my class while they were starting to work while I'm still juggling this other thing that is work-related. But uh, that my day basically from 8 o'clock till 1 o'clock, I did not have a break. At 1 o'clock, I finally got to shovel food in my mouth. And thank goodness for my amazing student who brought me a, a Trenta pumpkin cream cold brew from Starbucks. Uh, with the sugar-free vanilla syrup instead of the regular. Um, and that made my afternoon because I needed that so bad. And it was so delicious. Um, so grateful for her to text me that. I got the text during uh, fourth period and was just like, you are my hero, kid. Thank you so much for thinking of me when you were going to Starbucks. Um, she doesn't have a fourth period, so she was off campus then. Um, but yeah, so that's it's insane it and and it gets crazier um as the year goes on and um this article about this positive toxic uh i'm sorry toxic positivity was kind of an eye-opener so i i forced myself last night to not work um and i went and dropped off my mail-in ballot at our voter uh office i don't know what the thing's called but so that was like, it took about an hour because I had to drive to Bartow to drop it off. But oh, it was uh, recommended by my gov my uh, political advisors um, that I not mail it in, but I drop it off myself to ensure that it got there. So I did that last night. So I have voted and it feels good. <clears throat> and I with that. On the table. <laughs> I need to uh, fill it out. We'll probably drop ours well, off too. You, you know, my... my awesome wife decided that my uh, my space that we call the man room was a little crowded and she opted to uh while off yesterday to clean it up and like give me a, like a, a lot of space actually it's insane how much space she's ma managed to add to this room but i had my ballot purposely set somewhere away from where she would normally clean so that it wouldn't get put away randomly 
but then she cleaned the room where I put it to avoid that from happening. So guess what happened? Oh no. It went missing for a solid hour yesterday, but we found it. Um, it ended up in the closet for some reason. So, uh, it was a little bit of irony, especially cause she was kind of mad at me. Cause when I got home, I was a little, I wasn't mad and I didn't say anything, but I was clearly not happy that she had rearranged the room because I, I, while it may look like chaos to some, yeah. it's my chaos. And uh, I was right, of course, because my the thing that I was afraid of happening happened. But we found it, and it was all resolved, and we went and got um, we went and dropped it off. So, but let's get into uh, what we've been watching since the last time we recorded. Um, I'm going to go first, Corey. Okay, I'm not going to give you the option. I have watched one movie, and it's the movie that we're reviewing tonight. Which I don't think has ever happened in the many years that we've done this show, uh, where I've only watched one movie in the week. Um, because I watched the movie for uh, BAMP before we recorded last week, so I already talked about it, which was Hashtag Alive. That episode is out now. I will be watching the new Blumhouse uh, horror movies that came out on Prime um, for BAMP this weekend, but I have not watched them yet. But I did watch some TV, which is unusual. Uh, I finished The Good Place Season 4, which is the final season. And I love it. I think that series might be one of the, the best sitcoms ever written. I think there are no bad episodes, and I think it ends perfectly. Um, I think it might be a perfect series. For, it's not, it's, you know, like, I love The Office, and I love Parks and Rec, but I always have to tell people to skip season one or, you know, or wait until you get to season two before it gets really good kind of thing. Good Place, episode one, is a masterpiece. And it never stops being a masterpiece. I, I do truly believe it is a perfect series. It is so funny. It's so thought-provoking. And it is emotionally cathartic in so many ways. And you get Kristen Bell and Ted Danson alone are worth every ounce of that show. But all the other characters are amazing. It's just perfect. I love the show. If you haven't watched it, highly recommend it. And then once I finished that, I realized I had gotten through about halfway of uh, Legend of Korra Season 2 and had stopped. So I finished season two last night. So I did actually complete a, a whole season of The Good Place and then finished season two of The Legend of Korra this week. But still, zero movies have been watched, uh, which makes me a little sad because there's a lot of movies that I'd like to watch and I just did not have time to fit them in. So, Corey, what about you? What have you been watching? I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> because, oh. <laughs> um, so... I started watching a while ago Fear the Walking Dead, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I watched like three episodes, I guess. I don't remember watching that many, but here we are. Um, and I just wasn't really drawn to it like I was with The Walking Dead. Um, mm -hmm. But, I mean, <clears throat> I've just had days I've wanted to be in bed after work this week, so... I've been watching a lot of it, and I think I'm, like, half, almost done with season two. Still don't love it as much as I love The Walking Dead. Not saying that every season of The Walking Dead was great, but when they were good, they, I mean, there's still one more season I have to watch, I think. But when they're good, they're so good. Um, and then I think there were, like, two that I was just like, why is this happening? But still, I don't feel, like, attached to any of the characters or anything, really. I, I don't really care what happens to them i don't know it's so weird mm. that i'm still watching it but anyway here we are um that's gonna change because guess what came out today haunting of bly manor so oh yeah <laughs> in between my two work stints um i watched the first episode 
and I don't know her name, and I should know her name, but the actress who plays Nelly in season one is probably one of the best actresses ever. Like, she just kills me. Um, and I watched um, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, um, uh, on Shutter. Is that new? No, it's from 1988. Oh, okay. I don't think I'd ever watched it, and they had it on Shutter, so it's like, why not? I, I feel like I kept seeing it pop up on something. That's why I asked if it was new. Like, I think it oh. was on Letterboxd or something. I'm like, why oh. is this suddenly popping up? Interesting. Um, and then I watched a new, I think it's Shutter exclude. maybe it's a Shutter original, um, Scare Me. Just came out, I think, last Friday, maybe. Um, but it's a fun movie. It's uh, two people get stuck in a house, in a cabin, you know, in the middle of nowhere. And they're telling each other scary stories, trying to scare each other. It's pretty fun. Um, so I would definitely suggest that one. And that's what I've been watching besides the movie that we watched this week. Did you hear they are doing a uh, animated episode of Yes. I think it comes out the 28th. I, I'm not sure, but one of my uh, graduates who frequently suggests good things to me, um, he's been watching, um, he's, he just started the Creepshow series on Shudder, and then I, he was watching another anthology that I'm now not going to remember what it was. Um, but uh, he, he brought up that, he's like, hey, did you know they were doing an animated thing? I was like, no, I did not. But... I figured you might, and you did. So there you go. I'm excited about it. <clears throat> well, we didn't watch a whole lot uh, for a change. I, I usually have several movies, and I just I just can't find the time. Um, even when I wanted to, like I thought last night I was going to have time to watch a movie, but by the time we got back from Bartow <clears throat> and then I worked out, um, it was just you know like I it was going to be, and I had to do some work stuff. That's uh, like Good Place and Cora. I don't mind working while I'm watching, kind of thing. Um, although I didn't work as much last night purposefully after reading that article about toxic, pos- uh, toxic positivity, I'm like, I need to start making sure I have time for myself to, as much as I, I do value my work and I still ended up doing some work last night, which I didn't mean to. Um, and I, I am my other job because the Polk state job is technically a night class. So I have to, I do have to do some of that at night, but, um, you know, I tried to like, walk away from some of the high school stuff last night just to you know give myself a, a mental break i need i needed it and uh yeah you know mm-hmm. um i did technically i've watched two-thirds of do the right thing because my uh my six my uh it, my seniors are watching that right now we just started studying social problem films um mm-hmm. and we're starting with do the right thing so i've been watching we've been it's the first time this year it's the <clears> first time uh, since we've been on this hybrid model that we're watching the movie at the same time, even if it's not like everyone's watching it on their own screen and everyone's watching it at their own. Like I say, all right, try to start now, but there's still like there's potential delay or someone might pause it or whatever. But this was the, uh, the first time we've really tried this uh, this week. And uh, it's been kind of fun still, like, cause I can look at their zoom call and like see them like watching I, I assume they're watching the movie. I can't really tell if they're watching the movie they're supposed to be watching, but uh, you know, we have a conversation afterwards before we wrap up and um, man, do the right thing is such a masterpiece. And I really love uh, like, I've not taught Spike Lee before. So this is a, it's a cool first time like screening with them. Um, so 
and I, I studied Spike a lot this summer. I've watched a lot of his movies over the summer. So I feel very, very like comfortable with his style. And, and I, I did a lot of reading about him over the summer. Um, so this is a really cool experience because I am very, very versed in uh, his his filmography at this point. And, um, a lot of my students have never seen any of his movies. So it's really cool to introduce to like this one. This is such a uh, perfect first film um, or at least first big film. So. Um, all right. With that, let's uh, take a quick break. And when we return, we will be talking about Don't Look Now from 1973. And we're back. Uh, Don't Look Now, as I mentioned, uh, directed by Nicholas Rogue, stars Julie Christie, Donald Sutherland, Hillary Mason, and I guess there's some other people, uh, Clea Maitania, Massimo Serrato, Renato Scrappa. Um, I guess those are all important. They kind of dwindle from there. Um, the premise, a married couple grieving the recent death of their young daughter are in Venice when they encounter two elderly sisters, one of whom is psychic and brings a warning from beyond. Uh, has a 96 Metascore um, and a 7.2 IMDb user score. And the interesting and kind of weird thing about this is it is not listed as a horror film on imdb or letterbox but it is a film on the top 100 horror films on rotten tomatoes and i think after watching it it I, it's, it's safe to say there are horror horror elements in the movie if not a traditional horror film um cory why don't you start us off uh this was your pick what'd you think about it um that um i think it's just me but and i think that this is a movie that needs more than one viewing but i had a hard time with the first viewing so i don't really know if or when that'll ever happen i'm mm. wondering if this director is for me because i did not like the man who fell to earth I oh, did not realize that it was the same director. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that movie just didn't do it for me. Um, so I didn't really enjoy it. I It started out strong. I thought it was going to be good. I was like, heck yes. Um, I felt like there was going to be really good like atmosphere. And, you know, it was just going to be spooky and perfect. And it just didn't didn't interesting um you loved it didn't I, you no uh okay. love is strong um i at first hated it like first 20 minutes i was really? so not vibing with this yeah that's the funny <laughs> thing i one i am very aware i have a, a strong instinctive bias to want naturalism from movies um and I didn't realize that for a long time, but Spike Lee kind of actually made me break out of that because Spike's movies intentionally will shatter the illusion of the film. They will break the fourth wall. They, we will have random cuts with characters talking to the camera. And the first time I saw that, I think it bothered me. And now I really appreciate why Spike's doing it. Like, and also our study of uh, French New Wave and, and Truffaut, mm -hmm. that they, they were, they're going for you to know that you're watching a movie. Versus like traditional Hollywood filmmaking is supposed to create an illusion where you're not watching me like that. You're just looking through a window into these people's world. And that's kind of where I usually fall. I have to, I often want my actors to feel real and normal. 
And so if I have that bias at first, some movies instantly take me out of it because they feel they feel like they're performing. They feel like in acting. And I am a big fan of Donald Sutherland. Um, normally, the performance here often felt like he had never acted before. Like they're like okay. So some of the comments would be spoilerish, but there are some moments that I was like I found parts of it to be kind of laughable with his performance. And it's not that it's bad. It's very much intentional, but it wasn't clicking for me. And uh, the editing, which is super erratic early in the movie, I felt it's actually erratic three different times throughout the movie. But the first time it felt like it was bad filmmaking and it didn't register that it was intentionally disorienting until about halfway through. And that's when I kind of turned around. Now, I will say I knew that this had a 96 on Metacritic. I also knew, I think I mentioned that we were watching this to Matt and Matt was like, Oh, I can't wait for you to you know talk about it. <laughs> so I got the vibe that Matt really liked it. Oh, and, no. Apologies. Um, well, and so, and then I was also thinking like, maybe it's, it's me that I don't like this style of, of kind of arty horror, which doesn't seem to vibe with a lot of my other takes on art house type cinema. Um, and, you know, like you and I both uh, on record didn't like the original Suspiria, which is a beloved horror movie for many people. Um, and then we both didn't like Phantasm, which are very different horror movies, but both very beloved and well have regarded. like a really strong yeah. following. Um, but they're very different in what they're doing. So I, I find it kind of odd that they're both so well regarded and that we both didn't like them, yet they're so different that we, logistically we should have liked one of them. And somehow our horror tastes land in the middle of those two movies, you know? Um, and again, I think it's what we look for. I'm very story oriented often with film anyways. And that like Suspiria story is really like second tier to what's going on. And it's more about the aesthetic and, and the, the vibe of it. And I just, it didn't click for me. Um, this movie did win me over, uh, it, partly because I do appreciate the kind of insanity of what it's doing. And I, I will say that, um, partway through, I was convinced that it wasn't as bad as I thought from the beginning. And then uh, I've watched several videos now about this movie and I see where some people are coming from. I still don't, I don't think it's a masterpiece in a way that I enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like it's not, I can see why someone might think, Oh, this movie is brilliant. I'm thinking like, I mean, I guess like, it's still like some of the I... things that happen, you know, it's like, ah, all right, fine. I feel like that I feel like I should still enjoy watching it. Yeah, and I I I, I don't guess. think I would want to rewatch this. Like cuz that's the thing. Like I do want a horror movie to make me feel like a sense of dread and tension and I don't really feel like this movie succeeded in doing that. I can I, see why it might for some. I But I, it didn't really for me. You know, like I was trying to think of um like what words to like describe the parents because there are just some things that it just like i don't know i guess that besides like you know that opening scene i guess that i don't really feel like they're grieving i don't know mm. yeah uh, they're not the, it's unbelievable i don't know when he, when he finds his daughter in the opening sequence drowned it's like it's it's really like again it's purposely disorienting and i didn't feel like it was 
clear that it was purposefully disorienting. Um, it just, again, felt like a bad movie at the beginning. And I, I want to point out this weird kind of connections. Uh, you mentioned that he was direct, he directed The Man Who Fell to Earth, which we did on this podcast. Um, but he also directed the 1990 film The Witches. What? Which I've never seen. But I am very much aware of because in one month, actually at the end of this month on Disney, on HBO Max, the new version of The Witches, directed by Robert Zemeckis, is coming out starring Anne Hathaway that I'm very excited for only because blank check she is uh the blank check podcast that i adore oh octavia spencer is the grandma too and i love her so i'm I'm very excited about the movie even though i don't think the trailer looks great but i the blank check podcast is currently doing robert zemeckis and so the fact that we're getting this movie that there was a rumor at some point this was going to end up being pushed back with all the other people but instead zemeckis uh got it either he or someone at the studio chose to sell it to hbo max so we're getting it uh, this month for Halloween. So I'm pretty stoked about that. But um, yeah, so seeing that he directed this, it's a weird kind of like connection because I will be watching the re. Also, he did a movie called Castaway, which Zemeckis would later do a movie called Castaway, although his is one word. And it's definitely not the same movie. So uh, weird, <laughs> weird Zemeckis connection. Um, I'm out of here. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I I I can see why some might really really revere this film. Um, it it didn't work that well for me. Uh, again, I thought it, and I definitely don't. I feel like the horror elements are not the centerpiece of the film. There until the end, I really think the uh, the very last sequence, which I won't get into any specifics. But it's got like a really cool like atmosphere. Like there's a lot of fog and it's it's very eerie and that whole sequence feels much more like a horror and there is a little bit of dread there, but still not to that high level. And I also do think some of the acting at the very that moment is not the style of acting that I think is generally entertaining, especially in a film that feels like it's taking itself serious, but then there are moments where it feels like it's not. And I don't know. I it wasn't perfect for me. Again, I don't think this is a bad film. I I, just, I would. I'm already going to say my rating. I'm going to. This is going to end up as a decent watch. Leaning towards the the not a total waste of time because if I were just rating my initial reaction, it would be leaning. It'd be not a total waste of time. Leaning towards you know avoid like the plague almost. Oh. Because again, it was just like I'm, I was sitting like, oh man, I don't know if I want to sit through this movie like. And then again, I was by the end, I was I was into it and I was like, I needed to be involved. And I thought I thought some of it was really interesting and I I needed to understand some mystery. And I, I feel like I did uh, at the end. And again, I watched two videos uh, discussing the ending and some of the other elements of it. I watched part of what was like a fan theory and realized how like it was very much reaching for a like, you know, like over over analyzing something to make something out of nothing kind of thing. Mm. And then, um, and then I watched the two director interviews that you sent me today. Nice. That's all. That's which, all I watched. Which I was surprised, though, because you sent me those. I thought you were going to come into this like how much you loved it. So instead, you went looking to try to figure out like what was I what it was. Yeah, which I've done many, many times. So I totally get that uh, approach. Um, what like 
I, I guess, do you want to give your rating now and then go to spoilers, or do you want to wait and save to the end? I'm going to save it. All right, let's go to spoilers. Guys, from here on out, we are going to talk about Don't Look Now in great detail. You have been warned. I so think... his death scene. <laughs> oh, you're just right to the end. Okay. <laughs> well, because it was, I, I think Donald Sutherland is a really good actor, but the death scene is bad, right? Like his death <laughs> felt so, so bad. Like someone like being told, okay, now pretend like you're dead. And that person having no clue how to pretend like they're dead. Me. Like that was Acting. the vibe I got. That's funny. I, I was just like this. I mean, it is someone dying. I mean, that's, you know, depending on what you believe that that's the end. Um, and it was violent, but I mean, it all led up to that, you know, like, I don't know. Well, so one of the things, one of the videos I watched is that the whole movie is, um, about him. Cause there's a kind of a throwaway line that, mm. um, he is psychic too. Like the psychic lady tells the wife that he has the sight as well, but he's not necessarily as attuned to it and or doesn't accept that he has the psychic ability and so isn't as receptive to what he's receiving. Um, and so if that's the case, there is um, a whole series of premonitions of him being warned to not be where he is, him refusing to accept that he has these premonitions and thus ignoring them and ultimately resulting in his death. Uh, that was one of the videos I saw on YouTube kind of broke it down and it makes sense. I'm like, okay, yes, I, I see that. I, I don't remember their full argument to make it right now. So apologies that my, my summary of it probably isn't as convincing as their actual argument was, but I thought that I'm like, okay, that makes the movie make a little more sense. Why everything feels so centered around him. Um, and then there's that false, like, where he thinks the danger was him falling, which was a scary scene to me, was when he almost, like, fell off of the uh, the weird, I don't know, very clearly unsafe, like, I don't even know what to call it, because it's not, like, a podium, like, not but you know what I'm talking about, like, it's not scaffolding, though, right? Because it's just hanging from the ceiling. Yeah. Uh, scaffolding is, like, a built-up tier series of steps that he climbed the scaffolding to get into this, like elevator i guess i'm gonna call it because there's no other it is dangerous <laughs> it reminds me of like what people like window washing would use but it was not safe it was yes. like rickety and yeah yeah and then for, out of nowhere a giant board fell on top of it like it was a, it was a whole nightmare of a, a series of events but i i didn't have like any real issues with that I, I, again it's just some of the performance felt a little over the top even like when she faints at the the restaurant um and like all the like just knocks the table falls. over on top of her yeah <laughs> everything falls and what was that like they like zoom in or something so that we're like watching some kind of liquid fall or like come out of a it's bottle like olive or oil yeah, like, yeah yeah what are you oil. doing why yeah so there's definitely like a whole art house vibe and i totally can kind of see the uh the connection to the man who fell to earth like the weird like uh well again this movie famously has this very graphic sex scene especially for this this year like 73 um because it is a it's really long and they are like 
They look like if, they're wrestling. I don't know. It doesn't. I don't know. They have some weird body positions. I'll give you that. But at the same time, like they're like grinding and like it's much more like and they're, they're like from wide shots. So it's not like you can like hide things with close ups. It is it is very like aggressive and um, and it's it's cross cut with them like what it's cross cut with them fighting or them like drinking by themselves is there something's happening that we keep cutting back to that is disorienting as far as like the sex scene to something else uh which he does a lot again to like purposely throw you off i guess there is this kind of uncertainty of when things are happening and when you know like is this uh happening at the same time um it's clearly not because it's two different characters is one an illusion is one the future one the past Uh, supposedly that's all intentional again i don't know that it really makes sense on what the does it first add viewing. The, yeah, I don't know. I'm just uh I just Yeah, and that's Oh, go ahead. Good. I just I don't really like they try to act like they're grieving, but not really. It just comes in like small spurts. And I don't think that people should be sad or, you know, not have any happiness at all in their lives ever, but you know what I mean? Like, I, besides that opening shot when he, like, has the premonition that something's happening and he runs outside, like, and he's, dude, when he's, like, wailing and stuff, mm-hmm. like, ooh, oh, yeah. Punch to the it guts, was, man. Oh, really? Yeah, well, I, thought, I don't know what, I'm so insensitive to people's crying. I always feel like so scenes funny. like that don't don't feel believable to me like i'm like that's not how people would cry like that's i mean you know and have you seen me cry <laughs> like I'm, i don't know I'm i guess not like that. level like <laughs> i, I have had that i've made that complaint about a lot of different movies where i'm just i don't buy that level of and i i i cry i'm not like someone who doesn't cry but i just it feels like you're you're projecting more than a person would normally project like their vocal like he's like i'm just like that's not i don't see that as a real thing and again i guess fortunately i've never witnessed somebody have to like hold their dead child from the lake or whatever so i don't know to be fair but it's never felt real to me when when movies do stuff like that and so i often am like immediately like uh and I don't mind people crying. Like I've seen people cry in movies, and I think it's great. And then I've seen people like Jennifer Lawrence cry in movies and go, you, "You're awful at this. You should never do this again. It's not good." And I often like Donald Sutherland. This was not my favorite performance. I do not think it's a bad performance, and I think it's the performance that the the director was going for. But it's not a performance style that I generally enjoy because it feels overly heightened. It feels more melodramatic to me than what this movie is ultimately calling for i will say i did get some very big david lynch vibes from this movie okay and one of the things uh one of the videos i watched they made a joke about the 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 killer who is the killer is the (laughs) biggest bullcrap kind of a twist to me because i don't feel like the twist is earned like yes there is an established murderer but why is that person murdering people and more they were murdering women up yeah. until that point so well, what's the deviation you know i thought that this movie was gonna like go like real crazy i was like waiting i was like is he really the killer is his wife I totally even... thought he was the killer right or like is yes. his wife even real like or is she dead or what like is he imagining right. her like i just really thought that there was going to be more 
they they definitely tried to set us up to think that I feel I feel because like when she goes away and then like the guy's like oh I don't know and I'm like oh was she never there yeah and then I was like I hope not because that those those also feel like unearned often and that's the thing to me the the killer part feels unearned or unclear like why is that that I I feel like saying dwarf is offensive and that is not my I don't yeah but like that person like there's that's where the, i think the biggest lynch vibe is because even like oh, the, yeah. the way that the director shoots it it reminds me of the uh the red room and stuff in in twin peaks um and but like so the red coat is a weird coincidence you know what i'm saying like did, did the dwarf have like psychic powers too you know like what is what is the deal that she lures him with the way she does like I wouldn't have followed a person in a red coat. The only reason he followed her is because of the connection to his daughter. So did all the other people that clearly we're supposed to assume this is the murderer who's been killing all these other people. Was she luring them all the same way? Like with, you know, a red coat? Why were people following her? Did they think it, did everyone think it was a kid and they were trying to help the kid? Cause that still seems like a stretch. Like, and again, clearly the implication of all the dead women and then us thinking it's the husband or the main character who is a husband is because you know that sexual connection that like men murder women after they they have their way with them kind of thing and so why was this woman murdering women and suddenly change her tactics because again if it's a serial killer serial killers traditionally have an mo this is who they kill so there's a lot of things to me that just feel haphazard and again lynchian in some ways because it's weird and, and quirky and uh, even like the the way like the weapon of choice there like the weird like it's a a cleaver but like how she wields it is weird and it comes out of her pocket and the smile is creepy like it's all it's all weird and it, it did feel like it kind of came out of nowhere i know again they established that there's a murderer but the mo of the murderer doesn't match this victim right like it doesn't it doesn't really add up to this because if it's like one plus one plus one equals him. Like it, you know, it's just not, it's not there. And that was not a great analogy of that. Cause I use numbers and then a person, but not the point, everybody I'm tired. It's almost one. It's not almost one o'clock. It's after midnight. It's a new day. <laughs> I've not slept today. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't get like, sometimes this is f- similar to Suspiria. I feel like just because something is weird and different doesn't make it great inherently you know and i i I, again i can see why someone might appreciate those things and there are movies that do that for us Uh, i think i can totally see why someone hates a ghost story i love it i think it's great no i'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) i i've been like i just think about that movie all the time and i me too think that our friend doesn't really like that movie it's been a long time since we've talked about it but you know i just love it so much and i think that for me it's it's perfect. Like, I don't know. I think that, you know, like, I don't want to, it's a love story and mm-hmm. like, it's absolutely devastating to me. And it's existential as well. Like, you know, what is yeah. life? What is it, it's, I love, and again, we're not trying to get into a ghost story too much here, but the we point is <laughs> we get that it's subjective, that every movie is not for everybody. And that's what makes film so great. And there are movies that are made for everybody that work for us. And there are movies that are made for everybody that don't work for us. Um, But this one, like, 
I, I, I hate that this genre keeps doing this to me is because I do like horror movies. Like I'm not opposed to them. I know there are some people who are like immediately dismissive of horror films. I am not. And I like some quote unquote, not great horror movies like a lot. Like I had a lot of fun with the babysitter. I don't think it's a great movie, but I had a lot more fun watching that than I did this. Um, right. And I could see myself watching the babysitter again. Definitely. Because it's, it's, it, I don't know. It appeals more to that. What I go to a horror movie for, I never felt scared during the babysitter, but it did exactly what I wanted a horror movie to do. Or this one, I'm like, I don't, I, I still don't feel like it's truly a horror film. It's like a movie that has horror things in it. Yeah. A couple times, like two times. Um, I, yeah, I just never felt like it lived up to what it was, you know, I don't know, like, it, it never lived up to what it was kind of like giving us, at the beginning, me at least, you didn't like it, but, mm. you know, yeah. I, I was just like, I, I mean, and then they kind of wrap it up at the end, I guess, um, with like the premonition thing, but it nothing seems to pan out like nothing and then she's just like bffs with the with the you know the oh i can't remember what she's the called. blind lady and the regular lady yeah uh their names are heather and wendy thank you i mean to be real like why why couldn't you remember those because those are forgettable freaking names right like heather and wendy like that's okay um even john and laura Baxter, which they called them, it's spelled Baxter here in the movie. When they pick her up, I guess they're in Italy, but they spell the name Baxter with a B A S T E R. I didn't um, notice that. I did with the the driver that picks her up, which they also make us think he's the murderer, by the way, and like he's gonna murder the wife because like she's on the boat, like hey, this isn't the way to, and he's like, well, I'm thinking oh, yeah. where your husband is. I'm like, dude, this guy's the murderer. Nope, not the murderer. So he's got like red herrings and stuff in this movie for sure that they like, throw us off. All good film storytelling techniques. It's just, again, and again, I was more interested as the movie went on because I was like, okay, I need this to all make sense. And it, it does conclude in a big way. And I do think there is things that you can make sense of it. And there's there's a lot of play on time because he sees his wife in what appears to be his funeral procession in Venice, right? Like mm-hmm. he sees her on the boat and then he goes hunting, but it, apparently it wasn't. And even that was weird to me. Like, I don't know what happens in Venice in the seventies, but even like that their son wasn't there and like, he's being buried there, I guess. I don't know. Like, cause they, they don't live there. He's there for business. That's a good point. Yeah. Why would they have a funeral service for him there? That's a really good point. I hadn't thought of that. The son not being there is definitely of the time period. It was not uncommon for like kids to go to boarding school, um, which is where he is. Come for like a funeral? Well, I guess. But I mean, she literally just got back from the son or whatever. And also like my thing. Well, my thing, you know, she was only there for like an hour, but my thing with the son like i get why some kids might be in boarding school but when one of your kids just died yep to me i would keep my kid around it seems like they did the opposite where they're like okay well we lost one might as well get rid of the other one and go on a vacation to venice you know like it's like ah, and like if if you're if and on that same note it just like is weird to me that she doesn't even really see her son when she goes to the boarding school like 
Yeah. Again. And she checked on him. He was okay. So then she didn't need to talk to him anymore. Like, um, so the fan theory that I mentioned that I was watching for a little bit was that the son actually murdered the, the, the kid, um, like the, the daughter that like the way we see her drowning, she's like face up and it looks like her legs are being like pulled up to keep her from being able to like get out. And like the placement of the son to relation to her, and then they they started going into like, well, this if the father's psychic, one can reason that the son is psychic. I'm like, I'm done. That's too, you're going you're when you're having to start reaching for that what? crap. It's over. The son was yeah, way it, far away when she was in the water. Oh, but it's really hard to tell because of the editing. Um, the editing is all over the place. It's hard to construct okay. when that is happening. So, um, there there's definitely some some believability to that claim where at first i was kind of like "Ooh, interesting and then i was quickly like yeah never mind it's not that interesting um and so i stopped watching but again it it's not it's definitely not a bad movie it's just not a movie for me it sounds like it's not a movie for Corey. um i i already said i'm giving it a decent watch leaning towards not not a total waste of time it, it did win me over more as it went where it was the opposite for you uh you lost it as you watched it um, what what rating are you going to end up giving it? I'm going to go with... I'm also taking it into account that I dozed off once and I had to rewind it. Um, <laughs> it was too long. It was way too long. I'm going with not a total waste of time. Uh, for the record, listener, it's an hour and 50 minutes, so it's too well long. within Corey's regular timetable, um, which is under two hours. Uh, but... Luckily for us, next week, we're diving into a recommended film from my favorite director, Edgar Wright. It was his Criterion Closet episode on YouTube, um, Eyes Without a Face from 1962. Uh, Unlike our last two movies that were streamable easily, this one is not on any of the services. I have the Criterion Blu-ray, and uh, Corey will be renting it on Prime, I think, is where you can still rent it. It is on the Criterion channel, I believe. Uh, it's just that's not something either of us are currently subscribed to. And I think we have enough subscription services that we're not renting anything. Um, or I'm sorry, we're not subscribing to anything else. Uh, you know, because just too many, too many things to manage. So that's it for this episode. We'll be back next week, as I said, with our review for Eyes Without a Face. Actually, don't know, did I say the name of the movie? Um, from 1962. Uh it's one that I'm very much looking forward to watching. It's oh, I think it's on HBO Max actually. Am I right? Maybe I'm wrong. I, I feel know. like that was the one that oh. you you currently don't have access to HBO Max because you have a Roku, and for some reason Roku and HBO are still fighting about that, and so it's not available uh, unless you get something else to play it on. Um, but Eyes Without a Face from 1960. I thought I said 62. Oh, well, I'll be darned. I had the wrong year. 1960. Um, a surgeon causes an accident which leaves his daughter disfigured and goes on two extremes to, to give her a new face. Uh, 90 Metacritic. Uh, I will have the Rotten Tomato score in front of us next week. But uh, we'll be back with that. In the meantime, if you like what we're doing, please rate and review the podcast and follow us on social media. You can follow me at Burke Reviews on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And Corey? At Corey R Star. Two R's on the end. And we'll be back with our review for Eyes Without a Face. Uh, in the meantime, mask up. Drink your pumpkin cream cold brew and keep watching movies. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com. <laughs>